Well, we recently started a new series. It is really going to take us through the summer, and uh, I like to, a couple times a year, uh, really focus on a book of the Bible, and I, and I love uh, kind of focusing on a book of the Bible in the summertime because um, in the church world, we call it the summer slump. In other words, you know, it's time when people take vacations and, and the weather's nice, and so they, they get the camper out, they get the boat out. And so, but anyway, I know that at New Life, those that come on in the, in the summertime, you guys are hardcore. Like, like you, you mean business. And so, so in the summer, I like to get a little deep. And we'd like to go through a book of the Bible in this, a couple times a year, but especially in the summer. And we are in a series simply entitled, In Christ. And this series is taking us verse by verse really through the book of Ephesians. Now, now I, need, I need a little bit of help so that I know I'm doing okay, all right? And so I'm going to ask a quest, couple questions, and if you know the answer, just shout it out. I don't even care if it's wrong, okay? But who wrote Ephesians? Paul! Yeah, that wasn't a trick question. I was, I was waiting for someone to say, God? Uh, no, the Apostle Paul, he wrote Ephesians, and what is Ephesians? Ooh, an epistle, that's fancy. And the word epistle means letter, that's right. So Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He's in prison. He's not just in prison, he's in a Roman prison. He wrote a few letters that are inspired works of the Holy Spirit and are in our scripture, uh, we call these a prison epistles because they're letters Paul wrote from prison. Why is he in prison? He's in prison for the sake of the gospel, and his chains won't stop him. And so he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, and um, 36 times in the book of Ephesus, Paul uses the phrase, or its, or it's equivalent, in Christ. Let me tell you, everything changes in Christ. Everything in my life changed when I put my life in Christ. My marriage is stronger in Christ. My calling in Christ. So there's something to this idea. And so in the first week, we talked about who we are in Christ. Maybe you still have your post-it note from week one. I am in Christ. I am loved. I am adopted. I am chosen. To remember who you are in Christ. Last week, we kind of were in the middle of chapter one of Ephesians, and we talked about the Holy Spirit. Here are some things we said last week about the Holy Spirit I thought this is important to kind of rehash today since today is Pentecost Sunday after all. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit is, is, is promised by Jesus and is a gift to the church. And really the Holy Spirit is here to help. He is an advocate, a helper. He's a lawyer. He's got your back. Because here's what I know. I know it's not hard to live the Christian life. Dude, it's impossible. I need the Holy Spirit to come up here week after week and do what God's called me to do. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit because God has a calling 
on all of our lives. If you, are, if you have a job, then God's called you to that job and you need the Holy Spirit. You know, I spent, I spent six years in bivocational ministry, which means I, I was on staff at churches that couldn't afford to pay me, so I'd have other jobs. And every day I'd walk into my, my place of work and I'd pray this prayer. I would say, God, help me to do my job to the best of my ability and beyond by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I always seemed to find favor because I allowed God to use me in those ways. And so we need the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We'll talk a little bit more about this as well today. And, but today we're going to cont- kind of finish chapter one. <laughs> yeah, week three, finishing chapter one. I know, we, well, chapter one is, has a lot of great stuff. And so if you would with me, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. And uh, we will have all the scripture on the screen, but if you like to turn in the physical Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you would like to grab one of those, you can and turn with us. Uh, we will be on page 799 in that orange Bible. If you do not own a Bible, I want you to grab that Bible in the seat in front of you and write your name in it, and that is yours to keep. And uh, we want you to read that and get the word of God in your heart. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. If you're ready, say ready. ready. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now remember, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. And this is what Paul is really, really trying to encourage the the church at Ephesus to know God better. He says, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. First, I want to point out to you that, that the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation are not separate from the Holy Spirit. These aren't like individual spirits. This is, this is, these are qualities, characteristics that belong to the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I pray that you have wisdom. I pray that you have revelation so that you may know God better. Because... The aim of the Spirit's activity in our lives is to help us know the Lord more deeply. That's the aim of the Holy Spirit, to help us know the Lord more and more deeply. You know, in our discipleship track here at New Life, we do it in the spring and fall. Uh, We have T1, T2, T3, T4. There's four uh, stages to this discipleship. What, what the feedback we're getting from people that go through this is, is, man, when I discover more about God and his word, in other words, when I become wise to the things of God, I know him better. And Paul's saying, I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, because when you get wisdom, when you have revelation, oh, it makes you, it makes you hungrier. It makes you feel closer to God than ever before. This is why having a, a, a discipline in the reading of Scripture, a discipline 
in our prayer lives, a discipline in being a part of the body of Christ and worship, it all helps lead you closer to him. It's when you become wise and more, and God continues to reveal himself to you through his word, you know him more. And in times that we've, we've taken 21 days of focus in the beginning of the year, we have 21 days of fasting and prayer, I, I, I tell you, I promise you, if you, if you commit to 21 days and you shut off all distractions and you get into his word and you turn off all the distractions of the world, I promise you, you'll be closer to God after 21 days than you were 21 days prior. And I pray that our church would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that when you continue to become more and more wise to the things of God, you get even hungrier and hungrier for him. If you, and then, so verse 18 and 19, this is what it says. It says, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and to know his incomparably great power for those who believe. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. If you think about the eye, that the eye gives us sight in the light. You can't see in the dark. I know that's so elementary. But the eye gives us sight in the light. But also, we get lost in the dark. The eye is what gives us navigation with sight. If you were to go into a new space, it's through the eyes that you can find your way around. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so you can see, so that you can know these three things that we're going to talk about, and you can find your way to them. He says, these three things, he, we're going to talk about these three things. Paul, he, he wants us to know these three, he wants us to know the hope, to know the riches, and to know the power. Let's look at the first one, to know the hope. It said that, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hope, by definition, is having an assurance, a confidence about future things. Our world needs hope. People right now today woke up in Kokomo, Indiana without assurance or without confidence in how this day will go. Without hope, in other words, without assurance, without confidence of what the end of this week is going to look like for them. With, without assurance, without confidence that their marriage is going to last another day. There are people without assurance, without confidence, that they even want to finish this day alive. People need hope and assurance and a confidence in future things. But, the, but biblical hope 
is an assurance with a full confidence in future things that is always founded in God's promises, that is always founded in God's character, in his attributes. Biblical hope is always directly linked and cannot be separated from a firm faith and complete trust in God. This is the hope that we have. Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He has called you unto this hope. The Lord has destined you for this destination. A land of hope and promise. And when your life is in darkness, you can see the light. You can see that there's hope. And so turn the lights on and find this insurance. Look what Hebrews 6, 9 says. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope, and his name is Jesus. Our hope and trust is in God Almighty the anchor for our soul. Our firm, he, we are firm and secure with him. So biblical hope is like an anchor that can keep us steady in difficult circumstances. Hope is an anchor. Hope is like an anchor. You see, I remember when, uh, when there was all these logistics problems and like because the the harbors on the west coast were closed because of COVID, and there was all these shipping containers that were headed over from the west coming to our west coast, and, and they couldn't get into the harbors. So these large container ships had to drop anchor out in the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, and, and I've come to learn that, that the, an anchor, as you know, um, has like this hook on the end of it so that it can dig down into the ocean floor and, and keep a vessel from drifting. But these ships are so, so large that when they drop their anchor, they actually begin to back the vessel up and pull more and more of the chain from the, the, the vessel. And so there's the hook of the anchor, and then the chain lines the bottom floor of the ocean, and it's the weight of the chain along the bottom and the anchor over the course of time that keeps these large ships from drifting, and they can anchor down, and, and because when you're a vessel floating on water, you're highly affected by wind and the waves, and the anchor keeps them secure, and hope is our anchor. When the wind and waves of life comes and wants to throw you back and forth, you won't drift. You'll feel the wind, won't you? You'll get rocked a little bit by the waves, won't you? But you will not be capsized, and you will not drift from your location. And even if the wind shifts, you, your vessel may swing about, but you're fixed to that anchor point. And our hope is Jesus. So in, to hope in anything else but Jesus to put your hope in anything else but God Almighty 
is not hope at all. It's just wishing. It would be like a vessel stuck out at sea and it lost its power. And it said, we just, we're going to hope, or in other words, we're just going to wish that we don't drift into the rocks. We're just going to wish that nothing wrong will happen and the winds begin to pick up and the waves begin to crash. And, and it's like wishing nothing will go wrong without an anchor. But when we put our hope and trust and faith and security and assurance in God Almighty, then we are the vessel, even in the storms, that can be anchored and, and built strong. So the hope in anything other than God Almighty is not hope at all. You're just wishing. And so when people that don't have the hope of Jesus in their life say, I hope my marriage gets better. I hope for this. I hope for a better day. I hope that I can get through my anxiety and depression. It's just wishing. Real hope is founded in God Almighty. And it is the hope that he is calling you to. He's calling us to this hope. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So know the hope. Paul also says to know the riches. In verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. Then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Three things I notice. That the Lord is rich. It's our inheritance. And we're to be holy people. Listen to that again. That you may know the hope which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, God is filthy rich. <laughs> I always like to say, I have a rich daddy. My dad's so rich, money can't buy him. My dad's so rich, he owns it all. You think you own money. You don't own money. That's God's money. You think you own stuff. Uh, he owns the stars in the sky, dude. Like my dad's rich. And it's my inheritance. When we think rich, we think money and material. My daddy is so rich it's far beyond money and material that I can be absent of money and material and be rich in him and be rich in Christ. The world measures wealth by money and material. But I know that my riches supersede the world's riches. And I can be absent of the world's riches and be filthy rich because it's my inheritance. And it's eternal. Money's here today, gone tomorrow. Stuff is here today, gone tomorrow. We take our stuff and we rent storage units for it. We take our stuff and we fill goodwills and salvation armies with it. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But my riches 
are eternal. And, but, but here's what I know about stuff, is that God will always give you what you need. He'll give you what you need. And I also believe that God's people will be blessed. Because biblically, we know that blessing follows obedience. So, and it, again, he says, his glorious inheritance for what? In his holy people. So not only is God rich in resources, and his resources is that God is rich in grace, he, and he gives it generously. God is rich in mercy and is brand new every day. God, and, and, and also that this richness is our inheritance. In, in other words, it's eternity with him. That's our inheritance. And, and, that, and, he, and, he, and he asked of us to be holy people. The word holy, it means to be set apart for the work of God. In the Old Testament, there was, they, they, would build, they had this tabernacle that one day became the temple, and they, they had special items for worship in the tabernacle, only to be used for worship. They were consecrated unto the Lord, set apart to be only used for worship. That's you and me. To be holy is to be set apart from the things of this world in order to be used by God and to be pleasing to God. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my mom had, we, we had like the traditional dining room. So we had uh, a, a, like a, like not just a table and chairs, but like other table and chairs. <laughs> like we had table and chairs in the kitchen, but then we had like real table and chairs in the dining room. They were like far nicer than the table and chairs we use on a regular basis. And we only use them like twice a year, maybe three times. And, she ha- and, the, and the room was all, it was all special. She had this thing, it's called a buffet. I thought a buffet was all you can eat. But apparently it's also a piece of furniture. It's fancy. And then there's this cabinet in the dining room that we had. It's called a china cabinet. And in that cabinet... It had these doors, and it stood about this tall. It had these doors, and the doors were glass. And inside of the glass, you could see this special plates and cups. And they looked fancy, real bougie. But we were never to go near it as children, because that's the special chinaware. And we would only use it maybe once or twice a year. We only pulled out that china for special occasions. It was set apart from the plates and dishes that we use on a regular basis. It was meant for something special. And then, and then the, the, the buffet, it had this drawer. And in that drawer, there was these, these velvet drawers Y'all don't know unless you've had velvet drawers just for your silverware because it has real silver in it. 
And I remember, and I will, and it was always like, I always felt really out of place. We'd sit at the table. I'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> I felt like I had to be quiet in there. And, uh, and, and we'd use this silverware. <laughs> but, but the annoying thing was is that, because my brother and I were always responsible for doing the dishes. But, and so we used to rinse stuff off, throw it in the dishwasher, throw, you know, do the thing. But the chinaware, that don't go in the dishwasher. That gets special treatment. You keep that clean. You tuck it away. Silverware, you don't put, sil- you don't put real silverware in the dishwasher. It can be tarnished, you see. So you, you wash it by hand, and then you polish it. And the chinaware and the cabinetry of the dining room is set apart, and it is holy. It's tarnish-free. And God calls us to be a holy people, set apart. Set apart from what? From being tarnished. So holiness is about getting the sin out of our lives. It's about separating ourselves for the work of the Lord. Why? Because, well, he's a rich daddy. His inheritance is ours. And it's for holy people. So get the tarnish off the silverware. Live holy. The riches of God, they're not like the riches of our world. The riches of our world are always monetary and material. The riches of God supersede the riches of the world. Because they are eternal. I mean, you may look at my net worth and say I'm not worth much, but I would look at you and say I'm a rich man. I'm a rich man. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart, your heart will be also. Remember Paul's prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, know the riches, and know the power. Jesus continues. He says, this will sound familiar, the eye is the lamp of the body. And Paul's praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The eyes, the lamp to the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Then Jesus goes on to say this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Some versions say mammon. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you know the hope in which you are called and that you would know the riches of his inheritance for his holy people. Because here's what I want you to know is that the Lord is our treasure. 
The Lord is our treasure. And when I say that, I think, well, the Bible says that he will give me the desires of my heart. And the Bible does say that. But that's the second part of the verse. Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what's the desire of your heart if you are already delighting in the Lord? Your desire is the Lord. The Lord is our treasure. The psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. This is rich. This is our inheritance. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which you are called, the riches of your glorious inheritance to his holy people. He says, I want you to to know, to know the hope, to know the riches, and last of all, to know the power. To know the power. Worship team, you guys can come up and we'll, we'll get ready to wrap this thing up. But he says, to know the hope, to know the riches, to know the power. Ephesians 1, 19, so it says, to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same. Somebody say same. Same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, the, in the, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I want you to notice a few things in the scripture. It says that this is his incomparably great power. His, compower, his power is beyond compare to any power that you can imagine. It is uncomparable to any power of man, any power of governance, any power of darkness. Incomparable, beyond compare, compares to nothing, far beyond, unlike any power that you can imagine. That's God's great power. And then he says, it's for us. It's for you when you believe. He didn't say you got to do anything. Just, just believe my power is your power. My power is your power. It's for us. It's the power to save us from sin, the power to heal us from infliction, the power to deliver us from evil, and to free us from bondage. This is the power of God Almighty. So it's incomparable. compares to nothing. It is for us to heal and deliver. And it's for those who believe. So do you believe? Do you believe? It's by faith and living by trust. It's for you. And also, also this power, he, remember, to know the hope, to know the riches, to know the power. This power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a pretty good power. That's a pretty good power. And it can live in you. And if that kind of power lives in me, if that kind of power lives in you, 
bad day at work? I got the same power. Someone lying about you? I got the power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. Money problems? I got the power. Anxiety and depression? No, no, no. He gave you the power. You see, the power of darkness, although real, and although the power of the enemy is real, pales in comparison to the power in you. The Bible says, greater is he that is, say it, than he that is in the world. It's great power. That's good power. You can clap. But the greatest power of the enemy is to convince you he's got power over you. The greatest tool of the enemy is to convince you that his power is greater than God's power. You should look at that devil and say, I believe, because I believe, because I'm covered, get behind me. And the moment you realize the same power is in you and is greater in you than he that's in the world, it becomes whatever, dude. Oh, 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 but Devin, don't you forget, don't you forget, Devin, that you made mistakes in your past. I'm like, listen, devil, listen. Incomparably great power is for me. And that power forgave me, freed me. And God has separated my sin as far as the east is from the west. East and west never touch. You go north, north and south meet at the top and in the bottom. East and west never touch. So it seems to me, devil, you're the only one who knows about that. So I don't care. I'm free. He just wants you to convince you you're not free, and you won't be. But when you know that you are, he's, you have the power, and it's not of your own. He's equipped you with the power of his spirit. Jesus said, I must go so that some, something greater than me can come. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, it empowered the church. The church began to experience multiplication. Daily people were added to the numbers. Daily people were getting set free. Daily people were finding salvation. Not because of Paul and Peter. It was the Holy Spirit in them. And you can have the same assurance and confidence and hope in God Almighty. To know the hope, to know the riches, and to know the power. And at Pentecost, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead filled the church. And he'll fill you. He'll fill you. He'll empower you. Because the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. We need the Holy Spirit. Would you stand?
Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.